นโมทัสสะบุคควาทูอะระหัตูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควาทูอะระหัตูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควาทูอะระหัตูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังฆังนัมสังSome of you may know that today was one of those days. That is a, an all-day trust meeting. We had the trustees gather here yesterday. Uh, most of them stayed overnight and then had a meeting this morning, I don't know, several hours, and then again this afternoon, another three or so hours of meeting, talking about all sorts of important things and uh, emphasis on talking. <laughs> Lots of talking, and uh, there are things that need to be discussed, and decisions have to be made. And uh, at the moment, one of the main subjects we're looking at is the the governing document of the trust that runs this place. And it was set up pretty much 25 years ago now, and nobody knew how things were going to develop. And as things have developed, the trustees really doesn't. Serve the needs of the situation anymore, and so uh, it's been decided we need to rewrite it basically, and that takes a lot of a lot of thinking. Uh, all this legal stuff uh, does my head in, as they say. So anyway, I'm saying that as a preamble to excuse myself if I waffle tonight instead of giving a dumber talk. I'd like to give a dumber talk. Uh, it's good to see you here. And uh, somebody suggested that I could uh, talk about madness. <laughs> It's a good subject. I, however, I'm not sure how much I can skillfully say about madness. What what does come to my mind is, uh, well, what Ajahn Chai said about this subject, and I can still remember what the words he said in Thai. มันขาดสัตย์ที่เมื่อหลายมันบ้าเมื่อนั้นท่านแสวงเข้าใจไหมครับ which means uh, that ขาดสัตย์ที่ when you're basically when when uh, when there's no mindfulness then you're mad and you're in a state of diminished responsibility basically and ขาดสัตย์ที่ you also can talk about the word is unconscious actually and Also, when you're drunk. So, that is something that I do contemplate regularly. Uh, not being drunk, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, sati, mindfulness. Uh, it's my job, really, my profession, and it's my, also my my conviction that if we emphasize sati, if we contemplate sati. If we read what the Buddha said about sati, if we listen to what those who've cultivated sati have to say about it, then we protect ourselves against what is normally called madness. You know, that state where we lose our center, where we lose the strength, we lose the capacity or the ability to take responsibility for our lives. Mm-hmm. So. This is basically what our training is about. That's what this place is about. That's what our meetings are about. That's what 
uh, all the dumbed talks are about a skillful means of hopefully encouraging us to cultivate sati, mindfulness, awareness, presence, uh, right attention, the right quality of attention, so that we don't lose ourselves. And not only we don't lose ourselves, but we actually grow in the ability to to truly be ourselves. I mean, this is the, sati is not just the end in itself. The point of developing sati is so that mindfulness is so that we can so that we can inquire, so that we can really study what's going on. Even like, for instance, losing losing ourselves. If we don't have sati then we lose ourselves, we lose ourselves, we lose ourselves, and we don't learn. But if there's sati and you lose yourself, we can learn. Yeah. When you lose your center, when you lose perspective, you get caught up in, in excessive enthusiasm, get carried away with too much enthusiasm. Somebody told me uh, sometime during the week, they passed me a note, of, I guess it was a news report out of Cambodia, where the religious authorities in Cambodia had decreed that, told the 40,000 monks in Cambodia that they were allowed to watch the World Cup only so long as they did it sitting down and they didn't cheer and they didn't place bets on it. And uh, apparently, I don't know if anybody else heard this, this, this story, it was some of you nodding, it must have been a news item. It's a bit much actually because they said that if they do cheer and place bets they'll be disrobed. Now that's, you know, uh, that's pretty heavy. I mean, I, that certainly doesn't accord with the Buddha's view on these things. The, the Buddha could let you watch football match and, and cheer and he wouldn't disrobe you for it. He would probably tell you a thing or two, but it's not that serious an offense to get a little carried away with enthusiasm. But, uh, anyway, I think the point of these, um, responsible elders in, in Cambodia, whoever they are who, who made this, um, decree, was well-intentioned uh, that uh, what monks and nuns are supposed to be doing is really setting an example of what it means to live a mindful life. And uh, getting carried away, getting carried away uh, with watching football is um, an example of losing ourselves, a small one. Unless you're one of those rowdy English lot who got arrested yesterday, I hear they kind of blotted their copybook uh, and all got locked up and missed the game today. So yeah, so the encouragement for mindfulness and uh, you can't be a good football player actually if you're not mindful. You can be very focused and not be a good football player. You can have good samadhi and not be a good football player. You actually, as a good, to be a good football player, you need to have mindfulness. You need to be able to see. You need to be able to look around you. You need to see where things are coming, where they're going and of course, it's obviously held up as a great spiritual faculty, one of the, one of the five spiritual faculties that Buddha you know, spoke about. But also, in, in everyday life, we don't have to wait until we get subtle, but to recognize that even everyday life, in our relationships and in our involvement in society and in the way we relate to the world, that when we are sati, when we're lacking in mindfulness, then what is the result? So this contemplation is not supposed to be some doctrinal statement or some browbeating or something about thou should be more mindful, um, but rather 
uh, as in keeping with the Buddha's teachings to encourage us to reflect in a way whereby we come to see for ourselves the function of this faculty of mindfulness. To see what happens when it's there, to see what happens when it's not there. So when we go a little bit mad, when we lose ourselves, not to try and cover it up. You know, not try and get over it or pretend it didn't happen. But to really take it on and say, all right, this, this is the result of lack of mindfulness. This is where awareness is distorted or this is where I forget myself. This is what it's like. And again, we can talk to ourselves, actually. I do sometimes. In my room over there, I talk to myself. Say, oh, this, Menendo, this is what happens when you lose mindfulness. And it's instructing ourselves, training ourselves. This is you know, something we can apply in all aspects of our life. Watching football. It's good to actually watch football or tennis and, and see what happens, to see see how caught up you get. Or watching movies, for that matter. If you're watching movies, uh, it's a good barometer to see how good our sati is, to see at what point we get lost. Now, there are some movies that I think are certainly shouldn't be watched and should never be made, for that matter. But most people watch movies, and, and instead of just watching movies as a distraction and getting lost in it, we can always study, study our reactions and study what's happening. And everything we do, washing the dishes and smoking. Anybody I was, I was thinking about earlier about, about um, when I was a junior monk in Thailand in Wat Bawon in Bangkok, I used to smoke cigarettes in those days. I was an addicted cigarette smoker. And I used to uh, have a hard time over it because I didn't want to smoke. But, um, but anyway, the rules in this monastery didn't ban you from smoking. Uh, this is 30 years ago, and people in Thailand were a little less aware than they are these days, these days of the, the consequence of smoking. And um, So there wasn't a rule against smoking. Monks were allowed to smoke, and generous lay folk would come and bring you cigarettes. But the one rule there was was you had to smoke sitting down. You had to smoke mindfully. And if you were going to smoke, you had to smoke mindfully. You weren't allowed to just walk around and casually have a fag hanging out of your mouth. You know, and, and interestingly, there's all sorts of refinements about this, this, uh, this rule that um, you, you probably, most of you have been around monasteries long enough to know that, that uh, the monks are not allowed to eat anything unless it's been actually put into their hand. Well, this was the thing with cigarettes, that you, you probably find this laughable, but uh, it's, a, it's a refinement of, of, of this rule that, that some people would practice. That they smoke the cigarette, and then they've got, they've got some saliva on the butt of the cigarette. Now, if they put that cigarette down, they consider that the saliva has not been offered, so they've got to have their cigarette re-offered. And so what they would do, what they would do is they would stick the cigarette between their toes. <laughs> and you see sometimes these monks have got nicotine stains on their toes. It's a, because they, you know, probably <laughs> fell asleep or something. Because they, you know, there's this fag in their toes there. And, <laughs> but you see, it, it, it meant they kept their rules. You see, because they weren't putting it down. It was still here. You see. <laughs> now I never did this. I, I thought that was going a bit far. And I confess that I used to put my fag in the cigarette ashtray, and then I would shamelessly pick it up and smoke it again. 
And, uh, but this was, you know, this was a refined training and mindfulness around the precepts. And, yeah, there's, there's all the, you know, I'm <laughs> well, later on when I, actually it was mindfulness that uh, got me to stop smoking. I know a lot of people struggle over smoking and use nicotine patches and, and go to all sorts of extreme lengths to get off the addiction. And it is, a, I mean, I know smoking is a heavy addiction and, and these, um, you know, nicotine is, uh, is a serious drug. And then when the, the cigarette tobacco manufacturers put ammonium in the tobacco, any of you that have doubts about it, watch the movie Insider, Russell Crowe, that good New Zealand actor. Um, anyway, it tells you what goes on in the tobacco industry. So I had a full-blown addiction to um, smoking. And, but even when I went to live with Ajahn Chah, where Ajahn Chah banned smoking, in his monastery. He banned smoking, I don't think it was for health reasons, because he used to still chew betel nut, which wasn't exactly healthy. But it was because the village people were very poor, and if they thought the monks liked smoking cigarettes, they would always bring cigarettes and offer them to us. And, and he decided that wasn't a very morally suitable position, to, so he banned smoking in his monasteries. And and so most of the time I was a, a good disciple and so long as I was in his monasteries, most of the time I didn't smoke. But then when I'd go down to Bangkok to you know, my visa or get my teeth fixed or something or other, it was, da- it was only days before I was back onto the fags again. And, and, uh, and this, this, this addiction would kick right in. It was just like a full-blown addiction. I, I want a cigarette and it feels like if I don't have a cigarette, I'm never going to be happy ever again. And that's what it would feel like. And it, it's, it's so irrational and so embarrassing. I'd been a monk for some years and still suffering over this. And, and uh, until I, this one time, one visit, I, I got very interested. Some of you might have heard me talk about this before, and if so, I apologize. One year when I was down in Bangkok and um, my tobacco addiction had kicked in and, and I was smoking away and I was coughing away. and It's terrible for your meditation, you know. It's no good at all, but an addiction is an addiction. So then what happened was I started reflecting on this whole thing about desire. I want a cigarette. Because the feeling, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling, but when I want a cigarette, as I just said, it it really does feel like I have to have it. It's not a small thing. And I thought, well, this, this is unreasonable. This is, this is completely unreasonable. I've got to watch this. And so what I did was, I made a determination that when I want a cigarette, I obviously can't stop smoking because I've tried that many times. What I'll do is I'll I'll make myself wait for 10 minutes. I can do that. I can wait for 10 minutes. I can handle that. And so I would do this. I would look at my clock and say, right, okay, it's uh, 10 past 8. And at 20 past 8, I can have a cigarette. And I'd wait and wait. At 20 past 8, I'd light up and have a cigarette. and this went on for a while until one day, I can still remember it was about two or, or just after two o'clock in the afternoon, and I wanted a cigarette, and I was busy doing crochet. Now, you may not know that, that forest monks in Thailand do crochet. This is not just a peculiar habit that I had. This is a, a thing that a lot of the forest monks do. Ajahn Sawang over here, he's a great crochet man, and you crochet bowl covers and torch covers and spoon covers and head covers and all sorts of things. And so I was busy crocheting away and I wanted a cigarette and looked at the clock and said, okay, I want a cigarette. And, 
and in 10 minutes I can have one. And you know what happened? 20 minutes went by before I remembered that I wanted a cigarette. And something happened, and when I realized, in that 20 minutes, I realized that I had forgotten. In a mere 10 minutes, probably 5 minutes, I had forgotten I wanted a cigarette. And something happened within me, this indignation, this rage came up within me. I said, how, you know, this is incredible, being conned by such a puny little pathetic desire that you can forget about in five minutes and it's ruining your life. And so something broke for me at that point. It was just something, somehow that passion, that energy seemed to have something to do with actually just getting unhooked. And I don't know if I ever smoked it. Well, I guess I did a few years later, once or twice, but that was basically it. It stopped. And it was because of watchfulness. You know, this watchfulness, this mindfulness, this ability, this willingness to pay attention to what's going on. And, and it supports restraint. It supports insight. It supports understanding. So if we can appreciate this, just in everyday life situations, mindfulness has got huge benefits. And when we do experience the benefits of mindfulness, to really stop and take them on board. We say, oh yeah, this is the result of mindfulness. Or this is the result of a lack of mindfulness. You know, like if you're, you're talking while you're doing the dishes and then yet again you, you bust the Ajahn's teacup. Ajahn gets given these beautiful teacups from time to time from beautiful people and they never last very long because somebody who hasn't got well-developed mindfulness probably talking while they're washing it and smashes it. Now, I'm pleased to say that actually the last one I was given has lasted a long time and it's a credit to the mindfulness of people who wash my cups. But when you break a cup or whatever, or in speech, you know, you get it wrong in speech, not to get all judgmental and moralistic about it, but to stop and say, all right, this, this is not a sin. This doesn't make me a bad person to be a bit forgetful. This is the lack of mindfulness. And I want, I'm interested in training a mindfulness. And then we, just that interest, that enthusiasm, the pleasure of awareness actually conditions future moments of mindfulness. And mindfulness also makes us very creative and very frugal. I mean, Richard was telling me the other day how, how he, uh, his glasses have, have, uh, were kaput. And he just paid attention, looked at it, studied it, looked at it from different angles. And instead of going out and wasting a whole lot of money getting a new set of glasses, he went down to the workshop, got the angle grinder out on the lenses, very expensive lenses he's got. They got this angle grinder out and kind of worked on his lenses until he got them the right shape and then fit them back into, a, into some old, old rims. And, uh, and if there's mindfulness, we can do this. We think about these things. Like, if there's mindfulness, there can be lateral thinking. You can come up with new solutions to complex problems. A lot of people in meditation... Um, see that what we're supposed to be doing is getting happy because most of us are so miserable when we start off <laughs> that we think, well, this Buddhist meditation is supposed to make you happy and then you, you have a little go at it and, and uh, you focus on the end of your nose and, and with tremendous willpower and the next thing you know the mind drops and you get some bliss and you get some happiness and say, oh yeah, this is it, this is the point of practice. And so you keep doing this and some people do this year, up, year in, year out in pursuit of happiness, or actually basically in pursuit of pleasant sensation. That's not mindfulness. That's very different from mindfulness. When the Buddha taught anapanasati, it's 
the mindfulness of the in and out breath, or the satipatthana, the the foundations of mindfulness. This is the teaching that he gave. Yes, he did speak in great praise of concentration and and one-pointedness and focus and stillness and steadiness of mind. But if that stillness and steadiness of mind is not associated with right mindfulness, then it can be wrong concentration. It can be micha samadhi. Wrong focus. So uh, I guess I'm speaking this way by way of encouragement. I was asked to talk about madness, but I think the, the thing that's really worthwhile talking about is how to avoid madness, how to cultivate those qualities of mind, those faculties, or that faculty, which actually protects us, sanctions us. Because even when, even when you're in hell, you can still be mindful. You can be in utter hell, you feel, feel like you want to kill yourself, and still be mindful. Feeling, you want, feeling, like, feeling like you want to kill yourself is actually a perfectly understandable state of mind. When the self that we perceive ourselves to be is worn out, it's not functional, it's not serving its purpose, then it's redundant. And to want to kill it off is an understandable thing. The big mistake is that when people are not mindful, they think that this redundant mental self, which is ready to die, is something to do with the body. And tragically, many people do harm or even kill off their bodies in the process. And that's, that's a sad and tragic mistake. There's nothing to do with the body. So, however, if we're mindful and the mind state arises that I just want to kill myself, we can listen to that. We can feel that. We can study that. We can investigate that. We can get creative around that. We don't have to just react to that. When there's a lack of mindfulness, we react. Heedlessly. Somebody says something... uh, unkind or cruel or rude or whatever instead of feeling how it affects you and then considering is that true or not with mindfulness we heedlessly react and then say something rude back to them or unkind back to them if there's mindfulness well then mindfulness supports restraint and mindfulness and restraint together we can investigate, we can consider, we can learn from these situations and so Mindfulness is important on all areas of our lives. As I said also, mindfulness can be, can be very creative. And you have to be creative in this world that we're living in. It's a, it's a funny old world. It's, it's all over the place, really. You never know what's around the corner. And the way the politics are going, the way the military is going, the, the agendas that some of these powerful nations have got, it, it really does make you wonder. And and uh, a job is not for life anymore. And loyalty doesn't necessarily get rewarded in the way that it used to. And on this point, I, I read recently read a very interesting article um, about a creative Buddhist. Well, I suppose he was a Buddhist, a Sri Lankan by the name of Tusita Ranasinghe. And uh, Tusita Ranasinghe he stumbled across this good idea and this good idea was a big lump of elephant dung and believe me in Sri Lanka there's a lot of elephant dung there's a lot of elephants and unfortunately the the people 
the way this, this thing goes there is that a lot of forest has been cut down and um, the elephants think that the forest is theirs, you see. And then these uh, rather unmindful, heedless, but probably poor people go and cut the forest down and plant a whole bunch of banana plantations so that we can all have bananas for breakfast and that sort of thing. Uh, or maybe plant some more rice paddies. And, and then the elephants, used to tramping around in there, wonder what's going on, so they all, the elephants just kind of come out and knock out a few acres of of uh, banana palms and and then the local villagers get all hostile and let off firecrackers and and make all sorts of noises and attack them and are jolly unpleasant to the elephants and then sometimes understandably the elephants are unpleasant to the villagers well anyway this um, this very mindful very mindful Buddhist fellow stumbled across this good idea of turning elephant dung into paper and because you can, this is you can you can use it. Actually, you see, elephants have got a very bad digestive system. They eat approximately, I think it's 250 kilos of food a day. They just binge. Elephants have got very little restraint when it comes to food. They just binge. Well, 250 kilos of food and 100 kilos of the other stuff that comes out the other end. Done. 100 kilos of fibrous material which uh, Tusita managed to uh, clean up a little bit. And now he's got this wonderful factory going called Maximus, because it's, it's uh, what's Elephus Maximus or something is the name of the species of the elephant. And so he's called his company Maximus. And they're producing paper, and he's got 120 employees, and, and now the village people are being nice to the elephants, and he's exporting paper around the world. And I was just telling some Sri Lankan supporter this morning that I, I'd like some uh, elephant paper. But anyway, that sprung out of... <laughs> this is a true story. I didn't make this up. And uh, apparently it depends on what they ate as well. If they ate coconuts, that produces a really tough, kind of light-coloured paper. Um, and I don't know if they ate papaya. <laughs> Probably sort of turn out like the Financial Times. <laughs> Supply the Financial Times with <laughs> newsprint. <laughs> But anyway, you know, mindfulness makes you creative. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. And uh, in the complex situations we find ourselves in, like the, you know, the trust meeting that we had today, you know, there's some really complex issues that we've had to deal with. Most of you are familiar with the, the things we've dealt with over the years here, the legal problems, the, the, the dealing with the sewerage issue and land rights and access rights and, and all these things. And... You can be very willful. You know, I've had over the years, I've had people come and tell me, just go, just, just go and tell the neighbours what you think of them. Lay down the law. You know, don't stand for it. Don't, don't put up for it. It's being pushed around. And, and uh, or very clever, very clever people, uh, very rich people, come up with all sorts of ideas. But my experience is that the uh, the best remedy, the best solution, is mindfulness. That if you're present in the moment, then you can reflect on, you can be sensitive to the, uh, the different aspects of the, of, the, of the so-called problem. It doesn't have to be a problem. Mm. It's difficult, yes, and life is full of difficulties, but difficulties don't have to become problems, like being depressed can be difficult. But, you know, you can be depressed and still be mindful. You can wake up in the morning and, and absolutely feel like just rotten, just you know, just like you don't want to get out of bed. But with a 
with an emphasis on mindfulness, that's something one can reflect on. And with mindfulness, then it starts, you start over a period of time. If it's right mindfulness, if it's a whole body-mind mindfulness, you're not just a mental exercise. The Buddha taught the four foundations of mindfulness, starting with the body. If it's a right kind of mindfulness, then even something like an intolerable depression is something that we can tolerate. A good friend was, was recently telling me how they'd had to um, use medication um, because of the condition that they were in, the, the anxiety that they were experiencing. But you can take medication and still be mindful. When there's mindfulness, there, is, there can be a, a right time to use medication and for a period of time, and then one can reflect on it, one can learn maybe what one needs to learn and then perhaps come off the medication. So I would suggest that whatever situations we find ourselves in, whether it's subtle, deep, inner states where we're reflecting, we're encountering ourselves on deeper and deeper levels, or whether it's grosser, outer conditions, that, that we, the first thing we need to remember is mindfulness. Not the goal, you know, we're all have goals for meditation and goals for the spiritual life and you know, goals for, that we set up for ourselves being totally integrated and charming and scintillating personalities who <clears throat> got everything together and, and uh, wise and compassionate as well and are understandable and desirable goals. However, if we're fixated on the goal and not mindful, then we, don't, we tend to not learn the lessons. We just keep going round and round in circles, making the same mistake. But if we're mindful, we can learn from our mistakes, whether they're subtle mistakes or gross mistakes, even going a little bit crazy, a little bit mad. We can learn from that as well, if we're mindful. And so on the in, internal level, subtle level, and then socially, the lack of mindfulness, the reason for all the, all the problems in our society is what? It's not a lack of money. There's plenty of money around. Not a lack of good ideas. I mean, there's so many good ideas around, books and web pages and lectures and information. There's not a lack of that. It's not a lack of food. There's plenty of food. There's more food than can be eaten. Not a lack of clothes. There's more clothes than can ever be used. And what is it? There's a lack of mindfulness, a lack of the appropriate perspective on what's happening. I think it was um, I think it was today I read this article which said that some poll they did uh, was it YouGov I think YouGov did a survey and the majority of people would like to extend the Sunday shopping hours. Now, have you ever heard anything more ridiculous than extending the Sunday shopping hours? I mean, everybody's already crazy, and you know, shop until you drop. I mean, so many people have dropped already. And they want to shop more. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Or this whole thing of endless development, endless growth, you know, like the idea the economy is going to keep growing. I mean, what a crazy idea. The economy can't keep growing endlessly. You can't shop endlessly. Well, if there's mindfulness, we can stop and reflect on our greed. You know, why is it there's, there's so much food around? You know, like the amount of food that is destroyed every day every night behind supermarkets. They don't throw food out anymore because poor people used to come and collect the food from the skips. And so now what they do is they destroy it. 
Now, this is not in some sick society, you know, run by weird psychopaths. You know, this is England. You know, where people are full of, you know, kindness and tolerance, which generally they are, actually. However, this is going on. Supermarkets, at the end of the day, are destroying tons of perfectly edible food. Now, is that mad or what? I think that's crazy. And the result, the cause of it, is uh, lack of mindfulness. All we have to do is bring more mindfulness to the situations we're in, and then new possibilities open up. Ideas that we hadn't even thought of. So focused, it's it's not just about being focused. Being focused is good. But if our focus is not associated with right mindfulness, then even focus can get us into trouble. So I think for this, night, this evening, that's probably enough. Thank you very much for your attention. Mm-hmm.